Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Participants, please stand by. Your conference is ready to begin. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first Quantum Minerals Quarterly Results Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Lisa Dodridge, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Ms. Dodridge. Thanks, Operator, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today to discuss our fourth quarter and full year 2020 results. Before we begin, I will draw your attention to the fact that over the course of the call, we will be making several forward-looking statements. And as such, I encourage you to read the cautionary note that accompanies our most recent MDNA and the related results news release, as well as the risk factors, particularly to our company, which are detailed in our most recent annual information form and available on our website and on CDAR. A reminder that the presentation which accompanies this conference call is available on our website. On today's call, Tristan Pascal, our Chief Operations Officer, will provide some general comments and discuss operations, then Hannes Mayer our Chief Financial Officer, will review the financial results. After that, we'll open up the line to take questions. So with that, I'll turn the call over to Tristan. Thanks, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us. 2020 was an unprecedented year to which First Quantum's operations responded very well, uh, and the company achieved its highest ever annual copper production. Early in the year, COVID-19 emerged and shortly thereafter was deemed a global pandemic by the World Health Organization. The year was full of challenges, lockdowns, restrictions and, and some uncertainty. Cobra Panama was shut down for a period in the middle of the year as part of the COVID-19 mitigation efforts in Panama. We had to move quickly to make changes within our organization to protect our workforce and the communities within which we work. These protocols remain in place today as we continue to deal with the pandemic. Our operations and the wider population in Zambia have been fortunate to see less of an impact from the pandemic across 2020, but we maintain a high level of preparedness and vigilance at Sentinel and Consanchi Mines. During the fourth quarter, we continue to see the resurgence of the virus and in some jurisdictions, the level of restrictions tighten further. We've been fortunate the strict protocols we have in place at our operations have been effective, effective in keeping our sites mostly unaffected in the quarter. We did see further cases emerge in our workforce across several sites, but these were identified and isolated and managed in conjunction with local health authorities. Despite these challenges across the year, we did achieve record annual production uh, with our C1 costs at their lowest level in four years. At Sentinel, we had a, another strong quarter in Q4 with continued higher throughput and grades. There was a high proportion of softer ore from the eastern cutback and higher grade reporting from the deeper mining areas which contributed to these results. Costs improved for the previous year, 2020, benefiting from the depreciation of the quatcha and lower maintenance and fuel costs at Sentinel. Full year C1 unit costs were a record for the mine. For the full year 2020, Sentinel achieved throughput of 57 million tonnes and we expect to continue at these rates in 2021. In the second half of this year, 2021, we expect to put the fourth in-pit crusher uh, into commission, allowing for another step up in throughput when it comes online and then into next year, 2022. Consanchi Mine continues to be a consistent producer and continues to demonstrate flexibility and adaptability. Results in the fourth quarter reflect lower feed grades and recoveries as the oxides deplete, which is an expected part of the mine plan. Production rates at Consanchi are expected to be similar across the year, this year, 2021. Work will begin this year on upgrading the smelter to improve our ability to treat higher volumes of our own concentrate from both Sentinel and Consanchi, and $40 million has been provided in our CapEx guidance for this work in each of this year, 21, and next year, 22. The decision to move ahead with the Brownfield S3 expansion at Consanchi remains dependent on our balance sheet and reaching agreement with Zambia for greater stability in the country, and we continue the constructive discussions with government in this regard. We do expect the normal seasonality with our Zambian operations, and typically Q1 is the weakest quarter as, as a result of rainy season. 
This year, 2021, has already seen heavier rains than last year, which have impacted operations in January and February to some degree. Cobra Panama was back to normal operations in the fourth quarter and performed as expected. There was a planned maintenance, uh, there was planned maintenance in October, which resulted in a seven-day shutdown, and despite this, the operation set new quarterly mill throughput and production records for the quarter. Mill throughput continues to ramp up to the 2021 target rate of 85 million tonnes for the full year. Monthly oil milled rates at Cobra Panama were an average of around 6.2 million tonnes across November and December 2020 and were above 6.8 million tonnes for the month of January 2021. We continue to advance the Brownfield project for expansion of Cobra Panama to the 100 million tonne throughput level, which we continue to expect will be achieved sometime in 2023 and is included in our current production and capital guidance. At Ravensthorpe, the ongoing ramp-up continued at a satisfactory rate during Q4 last year, whilst we continued to take mine feed from the Halleys and Hale-Bopp ore bodies. The new conveyor to the Shoemaker Levy ore body will be completed in Q2 this year, and we have already completed first blasts from that ore body. Shoemaker Levy is expected to improve grades and the material handling characteristics of the ore feed in the second half of the year. In Q1 of this year, we are conducting the regular maintenance shuts on the two HPAL units. This work is now already complete and both units have restarted well and are back to full throughput. All of our other operations performed according to expectation during 2020. They all managed to continue their operations well despite various COVID constraints and a number of significant technical factors. A highlight amongst the smaller mines was the contribution from Guel McGrain. This operation was particularly impacted by the varying travel restrictions on its rotational staff. I'm pleased to say that our local workforce and Resolute expatriate staff showed remarkable tenacity to deliver record low costs for the year 2020 at Guelb. Looking ahead, total production is expected to grow in each of the next three years across the period for which we've provided guidance. Our cost structure is expected to remain consistent with 2020, and although we do see lower costs at Cobra Panama across these years, these will be offset as we see some of our lower cost operations come to the end of their lives and in anticipation of some cost inflation. Another highlight included in our Q4 and 2020 results was the formalisation and publication of the first quantum approach to climate change, which is now on our website. This is an important step forward for our company and part of our broader commitment to improve our ESG reporting and communications across this year and into the future. We understand that mining has a significant impact on the environment, including through emission of greenhouse gases, and we recognise our obligation to identify and report on our actions to address climate change. The metals we mine are essential components driving the transition to a low-carbon economy, and we are committed to find ways to use less energy, improve efficiency, reduce waste and greenhouse gas emissions by continually challenging the status quo, leveraging our innovative culture and new technologies as they become commercial. Our intent is to deliver meaningful change in our business based on the implementation of step change improvement projects. The first quantum approach to climate change in keeping with our results-driven culture is to set tangible targets and focus on the identification and execution of projects which produce real outcomes. Over 2021 and subsequent periods, we'll be setting clear, progressive and realistic targets which have an identified pathway to achievement. A full statement, including our commitments, is now available on our website. Before I hand things on to Hannes, I want to, on behalf of the entire company, thank our people. Many of our personnel, particularly on the more isolated sites, have been working across the last 10 to 12 months with restricted travel and, in some cases, extended periods away from their family and friends. And we certainly appreciate their adaptability, commitment and resilience. And without these significant contributions, First Quantum would just not be the same company it is. And with that, I'll turn things to Hannes for a continued review of our results. Thanks, Tristan, and uh, good day to everyone. I'd like to direct you to a slide titled Overview. It's slide seven. Despite the challenges faced in the year, the company achieved its highest ever annual copper production, with record-breaking production at Sentinel and a strong contribution from Cobra Panama. Total copper production of 779,000 tons was 11% higher than 2019, and within the upper quartile of the guidance range. 
Sentinel had an outstanding year and achieved record copper production of over 251,000 tonnes, which exceeded guidance. Cobra Panama's performance was strong at 206,000 tonnes, despite being placed on preservation and safe maintenance and operating at reduced levels of activity in the second quarter of the year. Total gold production of 265,000 ounces was 3% higher than, 200, uh, than 2019 and 5,000 ounces ahead of the guidance range for the year. Nickel production for the year was 13,000 tonnes. The plant continued to stabilise post-startup with nickel recoveries increasing to 78% in the fourth quarter. Comparative EBITDA of 2.15 billion for 2020 reflects strong operational performance and was 34% higher than 2019 with record sales volumes, higher metal prices and lower cost. Total copper cash costs for the year were at the lowest level in four years with almost all operations delivering a reduction. Record low annual C1 cash costs and all in sustaining costs were achieved at both Sentinel and Guelph McGrain. Net debt decreased by $266 million to $7.4 billion at the end of the year. Capital expenditure in the year of $610 million was $65 million below our revised guidance. Turning to the next slide on Q4 production, total copper production for the quarter of 203,000 tons was in line with Q4 2019. Sentinel achieved quarterly copper production of 63,000 tons, a 24% increase compared to quarter four last year. Cobra Panama set new quarterly records for both mill throughput and copper production. Copper production was 9% higher than the same period in 2019. Gold production of 69,000 ounces was 12% lower than Q4 2019, principally due to lower grade at Cobra Panama and a reduction in gravity recoverable gold produced at Consanchi. Turning to the next slide on quarterly unit cash cost, full year copper C1 cash cost of $1.21 per pound was at its lowest level in four years and 10 cents per pound lower than 2019. Full year C1 and all in sustaining costs were comparable were comfortably at the lower end of our guidance ranges. C1 cost for the quarter of $1.28 per pound was four cents higher than quarter four 2019. Cobra Panama C1 cost for the quarter was six cents higher than the same period in the prior year, reflecting additional costs relating to health and safety protocols in response to COVID-19. Sentinel and Consanchi saw decreases to C1 in the quarter compared to the same quarter last year, reflecting favorable impacts of foreign exchange and lower fuel prices. Guelph McGrain achieved its lowest quarterly C1 in a decade through cost reduction initiatives and higher realized gold prices. All in sustaining cost for the quarter was four cents higher than quarter four 2019, reflecting higher C1 as well as higher Zambian royalties on the back of higher copper prices. These were mitigated by lower sustaining capex and deferred stripping. Turning to the next slide on quarter four financial overview. Comparative EBITDA of $725 million in the quarter was $214 million or 42% higher than quarter four 2019. EBITDA benefited from increased sales volumes at Sentinel and Cabaret Panama, 13% higher realized copper prices, lower operating costs, and favorable foreign exchange movements. Comparative earnings for the quarter of $53 million is an increase of 51% compared to comparative earnings of $35 million in quarter four 2019. Net debt reduced by $266 million in the year and by $136 million in a quarter to $7.4 billion. This could have been better, um, but we had two late shipments from Panama that left on uh, around Christmas and, and the 30th of December, and we received $130 million inflow early January. 
Then turning to the next slide, comparative uh, changes to the comparative EBITDA. It just illustrates the detail and comparative EBITDA movements and the main items to highlight the change in price offset by some of their hedge losses. Turning to the next slide on debt and liquidity profile, the company ended the year with $914 million of net unrestricted cash and cash equivalents and was in full compliance with all financial covenants. On October 1, 2020, the company completed the offering of $1.5 billion of senior notes due in 2027. The proceeds of the offering were used towards a partial repayment of the company's existing revolving credit facility and the redemption in full of the company's outstanding senior notes due in 2022. Taking into account forecasted operating cash inflows capital expenditure outflows and available cash and committed facilities, the company expects to have sufficient liquidity through the next 12 months to carry out its operation, operating and capital expenditure plans and remain in full compliance with financial covenants. We continue to take action to manage operational risk and price risk and further strengthen the balance sheet. Turning to the copper hedging program outlook in slide 13, Hedging was undertaken when Cobret Panama was being built to ensure consistent and sufficient cash flow. As we look forward to certainty of cash flow and confidence in copper prices, we will continue to review the level of hedging and act opportunistically. Over time, the level of sales hedged is expected to decline. We would look to increase the, the collar component of these hedges to participate participate more on the upside. And most recently, we've done hedges where we've had upside up to $4.11 a pound of copper. Approximately 40% of expected copper sales in the next 12 months are hedged. At February 16, the company had unmargined copper forward sales contracts for 128,000 tons at an average price of $2.86 per pound. In addition, the company had zero cost collars and margin sales contracts for 198,000 tons at weighted average prices of $2.93 at the floor price and $3.25 at the ceiling. Furthermore, subsequent to December 31st, the company realized in January 21 and margin forward copper sale contracts of 23,500 tons and zero cost copper collar and margin sale contracts for nearly 16,000 tons at an average price of $2.91 per pound. The company also had unmargined nickel forward sales contracts, which are detailed on that page. More detail of the hedges in a quarterly format is all you, you can find on page 31 of our MDNA. Thank you, and I will now hand back over to Lisa. Thank you very much, Hannes. Uh, operator, I think we can open it up for questions. Thank you. We will now take questions from the telephone lines. If you have a question and you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before making your selection. If you have a question, please press star 1 on your device's keypad. If at any time you wish to cancel your question, please press the pound sign. Please press star 1 at this time if you have a question. There will be a brief pause while participants register for questions. We thank you for your patience. Our first question is from Orest Walkadau from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, a question about Cobra Panama and the three-year guidance that was recently issued. Um, I'm just trying to understand how to reconcile the guidance for 2022 and especially 23 to the previous technical report. And when I look at the technical report, um, it, it shows uh, 2022 and 23 copper production north of 400,000 tons, uh, including 460 in 2023. And I'm just wondering how we should think about the difference with that um, relative to your guidance of, of 310 to 340 in 22 and 330 to 360. Um, I'm just curious what's changed. Um, obviously, the um, I assume the, the COVID shutdown um, during 2020 might have pushed that back a bit, but what are the big drivers here? 
Yeah, hi, Oris. I can answer that question. Um, yeah, the 43101 uh, did uh, paint a picture of the, the reserve resource in terms of our ability to abstract um, really at, at those rates um, by 2023. I think what we see now is we will, uh, we will meet that timetable in terms of delivering the 100 million. We, we're confident in delivering that in 2023. Um, but the levels around 460 in the um, technical report are, are more indicative. We, the guidance is a conservative picture around where, uh, you know, we, we're happy to stake uh, and happy to be um, judged by those uh, by those volumes. Um, in terms of change, there isn't really much. We are a little bit behind the face positions that were in the 43101 in terms of where we want it to be uh, in Batika. It doesn't change the overall perspective on grade. It's just um, uh, the, the sort of volumes and so on that come out over that, that next period. Um, so it, it is on track, it's on course, uh, and all of that copper is, is in front of us uh, that you see there. Uh, it actually, at the moment in the five-year plan, we, we do see some high years after 2023 and part of our work between now and then is sort of balancing that out and, and bringing it forward a little bit. Uh, otherwise, we do see some, uh, some very high levels of copper um, after 2023. And, uh, you know, we just, we will keep working on balancing that. But at the moment, that conservative position that we put into the guidance is, is, is the view. Okay. And, and just so I'm clear, so it sounds like you're saying you're assuming a more conservative throughput level and, and we shouldn't assume any changes to the greater recovery profile. Is that fair? Yeah, the, well, the, the 43101 was on the basis of 100 million as well. It was really on that grade profile. And at the moment, the grade that you, you see there in, in the 460 is reporting into the mine plan in, a couple, in, in, in later years. Uh, and we're working on bringing that forward as much as we can. Does that answer the question? It does. Thank you very much. Thank you. The following question is from Jackie Prisbolowski from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks very much, and good morning or afternoon or evening to everyone. Um, I have a question about the Consanchi expansion. Uh, you've given the guidance that you're planning to spend $40 million this year, $40 million next year, and I know you talked a little bit on the, on the earlier part of the call about that. Uh, can you tell us um, how that relates to the technical report? I guess this is similar to Oris's question, uh, but on Consanchi, um, the tech report that you published in September, uh, I think you've got for, for first quantum's portion about 870 million US dollars for the expansion. Is this 80 million that we see in 2021, 2022 a part of that, or is this in addition to that? And um, and does it change sort of the timeline or or the scope of the of the expansion once it is fully sanctioned by the board? Thanks. Sure, I can answer that, Jackie. Uh, so yeah, I mean to, the references on page three of the technical report. The, the smelter is included in that capital. Um, the 40 million that we're spending now is, is, is on those expansions. It's around the oxygen plant uh, and then bringing the the, the, the already existing either vert process, uh, which takes us to the to the high levels, the 1.6 million tonnes per annum throughput at the smelter. The uh, the additional capital is all around S3, and that decision has not been made. Um, but we can talk about our growth perspective, uh, and I'll ask John Gregory to comment on that in a minute. Uh, but that capital is included. Uh, there's no capital being spent on S3 in our guidance prior to 2023, and in that year there's around 270 million that we expect or that we that we've included in the guidance. But obviously that's contingent on on balance sheet, and as you say, uh, the, uh, the the fiscal standing in Zambia. And in that regard, we're working pretty constructively with government at the moment. But in terms of the growth prospects for Consanti, John, maybe if you just want to add a comment there. Yeah, sure, Tristan. Um, the guidance um, is, is in line with the technical report that we um, issued last year. And um, the capital, um, as shown, the 270 million in 23, um, aligns with the technical report. 
um, and the completion of the project is shown at the end of uh, 2024, coming online in 2025, as you'll see from the technical report. Now, um, as has been said on a couple of occasions, that's to do with uh, the timing of that in the technical report, is to do with the government and balance sheet um, aspects. Um, we don't need from here on till 25 to actually finalise the design and construct S3. Should things um, change, there are possibilities that we could change the timing um, of, of the S3 expansion. Thanks very much. If, if I could just ask a, excuse me, a follow-up question. Uh, Tristan, at the beginning of the call, you mentioned uh, the two kind of um, con conditions for approving the project were, I guess, including um, your, your balance sheet being ready for it and, uh, and an agreement with, with Zambia. Can you give us a little more color on what you mean with the stability in Zambia? Um, I think it's the first I've heard you talking about that. Are you looking for a formal agreement? Are you looking for some sort of outcome of the upcoming elections in Zambia? Or, or what exactly um, would give First Quantum confidence in the country's stability? Sure. Uh, the answer is yes, as we've said before, and, uh, and was in the release when we put out the, the Consanti 43-101. We, we, yes, we're looking for a fiscal stability, and, and we envisage that that would be uh, an agreement. We've spoken about that before. Uh, I think what it re really boils down to is the deductibility uh, of royalties, uh, and that's the central question in that stability. Uh, but what we're really looking for is a period of, um, of, of confidence in, in and around that. Uh, and in that regard, you know, in terms of progress, we've been having those conversations um, yes, there's an election coming. We expect around August this year, um, and so you know it, it, it will need to uh, you know move forward quite quickly with in terms of those discussions, uh, because the the election will uh, mean that you know the, the the politicians are otherwise engaged. But the um, those are the clear uh, provisos that we have in place. Uh, and you know what we do see in Zambia is, is a lot more discipline, a lot more uh, stability in any event, engagement with the IMF we're seeing clearly. Uh, and that takes us back to the previous situation that they've had in the country uh, when, when there has been a default, that there came a period of good uh, financial standing and discipline uh, in, the, in the aftermath of that as part of the, the workout with bondholders and the IMF. Uh, thank you. And, and you, yeah, I, I do. Um, I do know you have talked about the, the um, deductibility of royalties in the past. So I apologize. I just hadn't um, hadn't connected the dots. But thanks very much for that. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks. Thank you. The following question is from Matthew Field from Bank of America. Please go ahead. Uh, hey, uh, everyone. Um, you know, just thinking, looking at your your stock um, that sort of run up so much so quickly. Um, you know, kind of seven-year high, or, or I guess, you know, as, as high as it's been in seven years and, and pretty close to its all-time high. Um, what are the thoughts about issuing a little bit of equity to kind of speed up this deleveraging maybe, you know, brings you an ability to kind of bring forward some of these expansion projects like S3 or Taka Taka or at least take the balance sheet, you know, part of the equation kind of off the table with, with a little more surety of capital? Um, thanks. Thanks, Matthew. Hannes, do you want to answer that question? Sure. Um, Matt, yes, one's always got that option available. Um, you know, with current high prices, we see deleveraging happening, happening pretty rapidly in any event. Um, you know, I think the company is probably in the best position it's been, um, I would guess, in the last seven, eight years, you know, in terms of We've got a lot of the capital projects behind us. Um, copper prices are good, so the cash flow generation is good. Um, so we are focusing on debt reduction, so that's absolutely key. Uh, we mentioned processes in the past that we're running in terms of um, trying to get minority stake sales in in Zambia or in, in, in Ravensorp, so that's continuing. So those are sort of part of the alternatives we're evaluating and just uh, accelerating that uh, deleveraging, um, but yeah, I mean that option is available, but it's a 
yeah, I mean, we're in a pretty good spot at the moment. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and then on, on the flip side, you know, um, you've got a couple of near-term maturities that are, are callable at, at pretty cheap, you know, call premiums uh, at, at this point in a very, very favorable high-yield market. Um, you know, what's the thought on sort of clearing out maybe those 23s and 24s and, and sort of bringing your, uh, you know, your, your mature, pushing out maturities even further in this very favorable credit market? Yeah, we've got the 23s are stepping down on the 1st of April. So, and uh, I mean, if you look at where our, the most recent issue is trading, that's trading at sub 5% on a yield to worst basis. So it would indicate that it would be um, accretive to sort of refinance the 23s. But we'll probably also have a look and see where we get into in terms of these other processes that we're running. So if we've got some cash flow coming in from that, that, that might be well used to call some of those bonds. Um, but, it, yeah, it is something on, on, on the radar and something we're looking at as well, just to proactively manage, like, like we have done in, in, the, in the past. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Hannes. I appreciate it, and uh, good luck this year. Thank you. Our following question is from Jonas Masvolas. From Morgan Stanley, please go ahead. Good morning, and uh, thanks for the presentation. And uh, Tristan, congr congratulations on the new role. Um, I had three questions, and I'll take them one at a time, if that's okay. The first on capex: um, if we take into account the $500 million of combined stripping and sustaining capex in 2022 and 23, there is still a remaining growth capex element of 415.22 and 515.2023. And then if I take into account the larger items around Cobra Panama to 100 million tons, the smelter expansion and the first uh, phase of the S3 spending, there's still a residual capex that I cannot explain in the range of 200 to $250 million per annum. Could you perhaps elaborate on some of the other projects? Thank you. Sure. Sh shall, I, shall I take that one? Yeah, thanks, Julia. Um, yes, so, so you're absolutely right. So um, there's about 540 um, in uh, stripping and sustaining in 2021. Because we do note that sustaining capex is expected to be a bit higher in 2021 because of the uh, smelter maintenance uh, during that year. Um, and then with the remaining 410 million on projects, um, that, as you say, includes the smelter ex expansion uh, at Confanchi. Um, it also includes the fourth crusher at Sentinel of about 50 million, and then uh, it also includes uh, some projects at Cobra Panama of about 150 million, which would include uh, the TMF construction um, and uh, some initial spend on uh, Kalina and uh, the sixth bore mill and uh, other associated uh, projects. There is an allowance uh, in there for, for some spend, uh, if necessary. Uh, in, in South America of up to 35 to 40 million. Um, and then there's obviously the Schumacher Levy project at, Raven, at uh, Ravensthorpe, so, um, so with, with sort of project spend of about 40 million at Ravensthorpe. Um, and then just moving, moving into the uh, outer years, yes, again, we have 40 million of Consanchi uh, on the smelter. Uh, we have some uh, expansionary mining equipment at Sentinel. Of about 50 million, um, and uh, further projects um, expansionary at, at Panama, including mining equipment and uh, some, some some further construction work on the TMF. Um, and again, we do allow for some uh, discretionary spend in South America as well. Okay. And the big That's, the big uh, step up in the, the big the big step in the, up in the third year is obviously, as you said, F3. Um, with, with again um, some uh, projects uh, at Panama and uh, allowing some discretionary spend in South America. Understood. That's clear. Thank you very much. Uh, the second question, just on S3, I'm just trying to figure out the, um, the the milestone you're trying to achieve in terms of the negotiations with the government. Are you uh, looking for some sort of uh, fiscal stability when it comes to that project specifically, or do we need a wholesale change in the tax deductibility of royalties? 
for you to have the confidence to, to proceed with the project. Yeah, hi, Jonas. I can answer that question. The, uh, I, I don't know about a wholesale um, structural change in Zambia. I think what we're looking for is, um, is a reasonable perspective around that project uh, and Kinsanchi uh, going forward. If that, uh, you know, we would envisage that that would extend to the industry as a whole, but really the key, as I said, is the deductibility of royalties. Uh, that came in as, a, as an SI, a statutory instrument, um, uh, some time ago, a year and a half ago or so, and um, you know that, that's the key element. Uh, beyond that, yes, there would be a broader sort of uh, wish list of items, but I think that's the key uh, uh, in terms of the discussions that we have, and we would want to ensure that that continued uh, in time. And I think that's a very reasonable position. That's pretty standard in most mining jurisdictions that. Um, that you know, royalties which are taxation are deductible from your costs uh, for, for the purposes of corporations tax. Um, so that's the discussion uh, and yeah, we'll obviously uh, have to navigate the election coming this year, um, uh, but we, we envisage that um, you know, it's constructive for, the, for, for Zambia uh, in the context now that Zambia is a, a major mining uh, entity as well at Mapani, um, they'll, they'll be interested in that themselves. Okay, thanks for that. And uh, the last question is around hedging. Um, you talked about the reduction in the hedging proportion to 40% of uh, expected copper sales for the next 12 months, and I guess it's even lower for nickel. Um, is that um, reduced hedging proportion a reflection of your more bullish uh, price outlook, or more a reflection of your view that the balance sheet is in a better shape and can withstand more volatility? And within that, should we expect to see us further step down later in the year, or is it sort of a 2022 story in terms of a meaningful reduction beyond the 40%? Thank you. Yeah, Eunice, let, I'll ask Hannes to answer. I mean, the key for us is we're not natural hedges in the long term uh, in any event. And you know, the, the reason for the hedge book to be in place was around protecting the balance sheet, and that means main, main, uh, it continues to be the core uh, elements and, and determinant of the hedge, hedging strategy. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, where we are at the moment, we have the existing strategy, uh, but we do, as, as I said, in the long term, we're not natural hedges. Um, but we do need to, to make sure that we're protected. As Hannah said, we, we have, um, we're putting the, more and more of the collars in place, which gives us up, exposure to the upside, uh, up to above $4, as Hannah said. Um, but does continue to limit the downside for us. Uh, and as we see uh, debt repayment accelerating, that's what's changing the, the dynamic for us. Hannes, would you add that's anything clear. to that? Yeah, um, yeah my, probably not much more to add. I, I mean, a while ago when we did the edges, it was sort of protecting covenants. Um, I think it's progressed now from there where the focus now is on debt reduction. So in time, Percentages overall hedge will decrease, but you know the focus is on sort of re reducing debt, but using wider collars and participating on the upside. I think that's probably enough on that for me. Understood. Thank you very much. Thank you. The following question is from Jan Rousseau from Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi guys. Um, just one question on capital allocation with with balance sheet degearing happening um, probably a bit faster than what you previously anticipated in your budgets. Um, what is the flexibility in um, your capital spending in bringing projects forward? I mean, it seems like you've, you've been able to do that already with some of the spending in uh, Kansanchi uh, on the smelter. Um, so just getting a sense of if, if markets remain strong, uh, do you have the ability to bring forward more projects? or are you constrained by other sort of timing stage gates? Um. Yeah, thanks, Jan. Uh, look, at Cobra Panama, there's not too much in the way in flexibility uh, in terms of that. The, the timetable of, of, S3, of the 100 million is, is pretty much set by the ore body and by uh, the, the tailings dam. We want to put a good two years into the existing tailing dam before we can cope with the level of inundation at 100 million tonnes. Uh, and you know that really sets the pace there. Uh, 
we would otherwise just be spending money to accelerate um, uh, without having the capacity to store those tailings. Uh, at S3, however, um, you know, on, on the theoretical basis that we could do it earlier, John, you might comment there, but um, you know, there's possibly potential there on a theoretical basis. John, I, well, yes, certainly, Tristan. Um, we we've identified the preliminary activities that we need to undertake to accommodate S3, which is why we're focused on the um, the, the smelter upgrades, which in terms of capital are relatively modest and various other infrastructural enhancements so that we have the ability to um, move our engineering and bring the time frame forward for S3 with the parameters um, of that we've already identified should they become more favorable. So there is a degree of flexibility at uh, Consanchi, and that coupled with the uh, expansions at uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the fourth crusher at uh, Sentinel, is on track, and that'll come online for next year. And at Cobre Panama, as Tristan has identified, we are on a course and a track, and we are uh, committing um, to the infrastructure that will support the 100 million um, ton per annum case, and we're looking at uh, bringing that online in our current planning in the 2004-2005 uh, era. So basically, it's coming online in 2004. Uh, 24. So that, in terms, will give us the uh, the upside production and the upside production profile of those projects for the 2024 and 2025. We can see on our forward estimates and our planning that we can uh, start to look at the uh, the one million tons of copper production profile um, from our 43101 technical reports. That's basically fixed in 2025. Could we bring that forward? Potentially, we could. Um, but um, that is that is predicated pr primarily on uh, S3 timing. Okay, and then just maybe to follow on, uh, what about uh, the South American projects? Is there ability much in the timelines there to, to flex that? Yeah, um, the South American projects. We released the 43101 at Takataka, and as, as um, was, it's a very good project. A uh, life of 30. Uh, 30 odd years, 32 years, and, and very good in the first 27 mm. years. Um, Taka Taka, really, so the assets in goods uh, we think um, is a good asset. Uh, the the decision is all around the investment case into Argentina, and, and in that regard, you know, we have more work to do there. Uh, so, you know, again, our priority remains the balance sheet and 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 clearing the balance sheet uh, down to the levels we've been speaking about. Um, and I think the investment case around Argentina will take longer. That's the reason for the focus on, on the brownfields at, at uh, Cobra Panama and at uh, S3. Uh, beyond that, Hakira, uh, we, we think at the moment sits behind Taka Taka just because of the, the community uh, issues ongoing there. Uh, and we do have exploration projects in the region and further afield that are very interesting, but by their nature, those are a longer lead. Uh, it is the challenge of mining now, and um, in, in most jurisdictions, is to bring these projects online. First Quantum has got a, a good reputation in that regard, certainly the last project we've done at Cobra Panama and, and delivering that in a timely fashion. Uh, but the, you know, those, those new pro greenfield projects are, are challenging. John, would you add anything more to that? Um, I think in, in terms of Taka Taka, we have the... Um we have a very clear indication of the actual time frame from once we take the business case decision to proceed um, in terms of uh, uh, initial pre-strip requirements for the mine, construction of major infrastructure, and, con and construction of the fixed plant. Um, so that is um, identified clearly in the technical report. And um, as we said in the technical report, um, or when we announced the, the technical report, the, bu the business decision we're looking at um, sometime 2023, 2024. Okay. Thanks, John. Thanks, Tristan. Yeah, that's clear. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Lawson Winder from Bank of America Securities. Please go ahead. 
Uh, thank you, operator, and uh, hello, everybody. Uh, just a question on the div dividend from me. Um, when you think about the dividend, uh, so, so two questions here really on the dividend. Uh, in the past, you've indicated uh, re debt repayment of approximately $2 billion would be the right quantum before you think about a higher dividend. I just wanted to see if that's still where you're thinking is at. And then, you know, secondly, on the dividend with the um, hedges, do you think about hedging as a tool to help enable you to pay a dividend, or would you expect that the need for hedging will be gone by the time uh, you start considering a higher dividend? Thanks. Thanks, Lawson. Hannes, could you take that question? Sure. Um, look, maybe let me get to the second one first. So the hedges is part of the strategy now and sort of deleveraging and the balance sheet, repaying some of the debt. And that also enables them, the first aspect of it is, is the dividend question. So, uh, I mean, we've previously stated the sort of $2 billion debt reduction that was a target uh, that we wanted to achieve. Um, so we've paid down some of the debt in the last year. So we're on tra track for that. And then in, in this year, we'll generate pretty decent cash. So I don't think we precluded from increasing dividends you know, prior to repaying $2 billion. So I think what we are stating is that in the past, um, we used to have a dividend policy, and prior to um, the, no the nominal dividend that we paid, we paid about 15% of net earnings um, as a dividend. Um, so I think you know, what we've now said is that we'll look at re returning a bit more cash to shareholders um, once we see you know, debt reduction. So I think that that will come through in this year, and later, in, you know, and we said in the next two years, we'll certainly look at um, increasing that dividend. Okay, thank you. And, and then in terms uh, of the hedge pool, uh, yeah, well, I'll address that one first. Yeah, so that's. Um, yeah, no, thank thank you very much for that, uh, Hennis. Um, now, in your prepared remarks, you mentioned that. Um, the low, lower cost going forward, cash cost going forward at Cobra Panama would, would effectively be offsetting uh, some of the, low, the smaller low-cost mines coming off, but also um, offsetting some inflation. Uh, I, I just I think it would be really helpful to get your thoughts on um, where you're expecting that inflation to come. I mean, is, is it labor, or are you looking for input costs, or you know, just what, what's your thinking on that um, that comment? Thanks. Yeah, Larson. The certainly labour, um, and we we are seeing higher uh, shipping costs at the moment. Uh, certainly, we've seen that uh, for bulk freight, uh, and particularly coming out of Asia. Uh, so some of the project elements um, that that's certainly been apparent and is starting to come through. Uh, I think it's some of the reason for you, you know the uplift in, in commodity prices is is that inflationary outlook. Certainly, we're starting to see some of that. And I, I would point also to Consanchi, where you know the, the ongoing uh, lower grades, uh, you know, does uh, mean that you know the cost per unit uh, is, um, will rise uh, because you, you have the overhead there with with labour and, and and the cost of the business. Uh, but S3 changes that as we get into a, a higher volume operation, and we're able to. Continue to produce at the current levels, um, uh, and you see in the guidance each year it, it coming off a little bit at Constantia. Will be, you know, that trend reverses, and we're able to to keep running at these levels. And as soon as you're at those units of production, uh, then your unit cost uh, looks a, a lot better out of Constantia. Um, but yeah, the, the main element on inflation is is, is around labour uh, and uh, and and freight at the moment. Excellent. And maybe just one more from from me uh, on Hikira, which you touched on briefly in, in prior questions. Um, you commented that the focus still remains on resettlement and, and community engagement. And uh, I'd be curious to know whether or not uh, any resettlement has actually started or is it still at the uh, discussion phase? Thanks. And that's it for me. Uh, no, there's been no uh, resettlement as yet in terms of actual movement of people, um, dealing with the various 
community groups uh, in, in their different areas and their different locations. Uh, obviously, being next door to Las Bambas, it's broader than that, and into you know the, the infrastructure routes and the transit corridors as well, uh, and just how to navigate uh, those uh, in the future. Um, so that's the situation at Akira. I appreciate that. Thank you all. Thank you. A following question is from Emily Chang from uh, Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Um, hi, everyone. Um, my first question is just around uh, the capital allocation. Um, it was exciting to hear that there might be a little bit of movement on, on the dividend there. But, you know, when you think about your, your deleveraging targets, you know, certainly in a higher copper price environment, that certainly looks favorable. Can you remind us about the balance between accelerating some of the growth projects that you talked about, you know, S3, um, and then balancing that with, you know, potential for higher capital returns there? Yeah, hi, Emily. Um, look, the priority of the business remains deleveraging, and that's where, uh, you know, as, as Hannah says, with the rising copper price, we are generating cash, uh, and at the upfront, that will go into... Uh, into reducing debt. Um, beyond that, uh, you know, I, I think growth profile is becoming uh, more interesting. But we, you know, we have a disciplined focus in that regard that we will reduce debt. Uh, and so the guidance that we've provided is on uh, pretty much in line with what we said last year. Certainly for for 2020, 21, and, and 22, uh, we're on the same track as we said last year in terms of capital uh, outlay for the business. Uh, and in that, we added, um, uh, because we deferred some capital from last year, uh, we've also added um, the, the smelter at Consanchi into that, uh, into that capital guidance uh, without changing um, you know, the, the overall number for, the, for these two years. So that's a disciplined focus. Um, beyond that, and, and you know, as we get the benefit of deleveraging and, and, and the benefit of uh, high copper prices, then yes, uh, you know, we would look at balancing capital outlay uh, for things like S3 uh, and indeed to Taka Taka, as John said, in the future, um, but also with the dividend coming out as well. Okay. Tristan, can sense. I just uh, talk to Emily's question because it's a very pertinent one. It's a balancing act. So what's happening is we pay significant amounts in interest to, uh, to lenders, which we'd far rather be able to disperse as dividends to our shareholders. But if we, do, if we don't reduce those debts, then obviously the quantum that we have for dispersing as, as dividends would be reduced. And there's always the other demand, which is for capital expenditure. So it's, it's, it's a very practical arrangement to focus on debt reduction and then and then get to dividend payment once that those debt levels are modest. And that really is a strong guidance. And obviously with the higher commodity prices, we can achieve that much more quickly. And we'd be very pleased to do so because then we can return something to our shareholders rather than paying so much interest. Great. That makes a ton of sense. And, and one follow-up is just on the divestment process. Um, I know you mentioned in your prepared remarks that you might be accelerating some, some work there, but is there any timeline that you're looking at or is it simply you know, a search for value here? And then when we're seeing what's happening in Zambia with some of the other mines, um, is there any read across there for, for Sentinel and Consanchi for your, for your own projects? Thank you. Sorry, Emily, I just missed the last part of your question there. What was it? Um, just in that, you know, it seems like Dan, the government is looking at some other mines uh, or taking ownership of some of the other mines. There is any read across that we, we should be thinking about. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, those asset sale processes are continuing. It's obviously, um, you know, the, the challenge last year with COVID was really around getting people to sites. Um, and, you know, some of that's uh, easing a little bit now. Uh, so, but you know, certainly the Ravensthorpe process and, and the Zambia process is continuing. And as you said, the challenge for us there is on value. Uh, what we see is, uh, you know, that the near-term and mid-term copper price outlook looks pretty reasonable when we compare that with um, uh, 
uh, you know, consensus, or which has been lagging, is, is catching up now. I think in terms of consensus price forecasts, and, and that gives an indication as to where you know people's minds at in terms of long-term copper price. And we really see you know the offtake in terms of um, you know, short and medium-term cash flow from those businesses is very significant. Uh, and that's what we have to trade off in, in looking at the minority stake sale in Zambia and at Ravensworth as well. Uh, in terms of uh, the, the processes in Zambia, uh, the government's been very clear that they're not a nationalisation process. I realise that that word has been bandied around a little bit, um, but it, it goes back to the decisions that were made last year in a low-cost, uh, low-price environment, which was, you know, Mapani Glencore made a decision uh, to put uh, Mapani on, on care and maintenance, which at that time as a high-cost operation, you know, is a reasonable decision to look at. Uh, obviously, that had implications in terms of employment. Uh, for the government, and, and so you know, the government's position there is understandable. They've had very constructive discussions, and I think come to you know agreement there, which makes it clear um, that, you know the, uh, that the mine will continue operating, uh, and the government through ZCCM has decided to, to take that on. Uh, but you know the, the, the construct around that was reasonable, and uh, and so on. So no, we don't see any. Um, contagion or, or any element or, or risk in that more broadly in Zambia. In fact, our relationship in, in Zambia has been fairly strong over the last 18 months, two years. Um, you know, around uh, as as the government's you know been in the, in the debt crisis that they're in and the debt default situation, uh, a greater level of discipline and and focus on stability. And that you know we we've been there a long time and have worked with with government through that time, uh, and that continues in a constructive manner. Great, that's really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. A following question is from Carl Blunden from Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Well, thanks for the time. Um, just had a, a follow up on the, the balance sheet, and I think Hannes has spoken with, to this. Uh, sometimes in prior quarters, but when you take a look at the trade-offs between the cost of the debt in the bond market, which is a little bit higher than banks, but it gives you more flexibility and importantly is prepayable, a lot of it is prepayable, um, how does that um, influence your view on how, what the balance of, of bank versus uh, higher bond debt that should be going forward as you get cash flow in now, as you potentially look at a refi, potentially use JV proceeds? Yeah, um, Carl, I mean, both markets are important to me. Um, I mean, obviously, with a bond market, it's, it's only incurrence, uh, a test, and you don't have maintenance covenants, so that, you know, that makes it comfortable to, to live through, throughout the life of the bond. Um, but you do have quite a bit of period where it's in a non-core period, and you do carry that higher interest burden. With the banks, and yes, we do have covenants of that, but as we delever, you'll see those ratios becoming less less of a concern. And we're well within any covenant at the moment and forecasting to be anyway. But what you would have seen over the last seven, eight years through sort of two downturns in the cycle is the banks actually support us and they come to the party. So when we requested amendments, we, we obtained that from the banks so with great support from them and refinancing those facilities. So it is a check in the process. So you do have those maintenance governments, but um, we've got a very supportive banking group. Uh, so our, and it, it comes at a lower cost and it's also prepayable. So I'll probably want to be in both markets and um, you know we've had a longstanding and supportive banking group. So probably continue with that. That's helpful. If I could just squeeze one more in, it relates to the JV sale process, even, and you've given some good information on that on this call. Um, it's kind of a bigger picture question. Have you felt like private market valuations have kept pace with the public market recently? In other words, is it still attractive to pursue those options? And I understand here that there are other considerations too, other than price uh, as well, but just uh, some kind of comment on that would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, Carl, look, there are other considerations. Um, diversification was one of the key elements of, of what we looked at in, in the asset sale processes that we embarked on, and that remains relevant. Uh, but I think the challenge, as I said, is uh, 
is the near-term earnings that we otherwise uh, earn from, from Consanchi and Sentinel are, are very significant. Um, and yeah, private market valuations as to how they differ from public market. Uh, yeah, I think the you know the copper prices run uh, in 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 public market valuations, and we we have to take that into account. Uh, and the, the the rise in the share price, we have to take that into account. Um, and so, yeah, that's the challenge for for copper producers looking to embark in 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 M and A uh, is, uh, is is to look at those levels of valuations, and certainly. I think you know the you know the perspective we had uh, in sort of March April last year uh, has moved on uh, to where we are now. The, the, the assets themselves are very compelling. Uh, they're, they're a very strong proposition, uh, and at these price levels, um, you know, as you said, it does come down to price. Uh, and you know, with the copper price and so on where they are, and the assets are producing very well. Uh, Sentinel, in particular, at the moment, producing record production. Uh, you know that's a compelling story, and 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 we know that best of all as 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 as, as the owner. Thanks very much. Thank you. A following question is from Abby from Deutsche Bank. Please go ahead. Yeah, morning, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Just a quick one on uh, Cobra Panama cost. How much of the 134 cent costs we saw this quarter were related to COVID and maintenance costs, which you won't be seeing forward? Thank you. Thanks, Abby. Yeah, the uh, I think we did have a line uh, in the statement that talked about the the COVID-19 costs at Cobra Panama. They were in about in the order of around 10 million dollars across the quarter. Uh, the costs at Cobra Panama were in line with our expectations. The C1s were at $1.34. Um, and, you know, that was well within the guidance uh, that we put around uh, Cobra Panama for the year. Uh, it is true to say that Q3 was, was lower costs, and really that was off the back of the ramp up and really our focus, you know, in Q2, we can't forget that we got down to 800 people on site, and so we were running trucks uh, in a very in order to keep things ticking over, there was some, we were focusing on grade uh, to keep that operation running. Uh, and you see that the lower volumes and, and higher grade that comes through in, in Q3 uh, of the results from Cobra Panama. So I think Q4s are rebalancing. Those cost levels now in Q4, uh, you know, the big impact that we have on those going forward is on unit, units of production. Uh, we do see inflation in the market, but Cobra Panama as it gets to the 85 million tonnes per annum and is producing, you know, our guidance 300 to 330,000 tonnes of copper uh, per year, those units uh, on the denominator uh, really pull down the costs quite significantly. And we, we see that uh, and we see its ability to, um, to really head uh, to a lower cost position. And then as we go to the 100 million, that it will head towards uh, a dollar on a, on a C1 basis. Um, uh, and, and so those are the dynamics of that Cobra Panama. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Our following question is from Jatinder Goel from Exane P, uh, BNP Paribus. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, Operator. Good morning and good afternoon. Uh, I've got two questions. Uh, first question has got three parts related to Zambia. Uh, just to understand, is the minority stake sale and S3 decision, do they have any interdependence or are they fully independent decisions? Uh, and secondly, when do you need to get uh, the stability agreement in place not to impact Consanchi production profile or to keep the volume profile that you currently envisage? Uh, what's the latest uh, timeline for that? And the, the third element is, uh, the stability agreement would apply to the whole of Consanchi, but not to Sentinel, what you're currently looking at, just to be clear. Sure, Justin. Um, yeah, the first part of the question, uh, the minority stake sale is independent from S3. There's, there's no reason that we would link them together. The only, what we previously spoken there is if we had, uh, if the minority stake sale did go through uh, and that cash uh, became available in terms of deleveraging uh, the balance sheet, we would obviously be in a better position in terms of, of debt um, and, and total debt uh, uh, 
in order to go ahead with S3 with a partner. Um, so that, that would be the dynamic, but uh, otherwise it's independent, an independent decision. The, um, in terms of the stability agreement and the timing around that, uh, we, as we said in the 43101, there's no need immediately to go on with S3. Uh, we do see you know, good levels of production continue at Constantia as we put into the guidance for the next three years. And we, as we said in the 43101, it was really around um, 2024, 2025 that we, we, we needed to see um, the S3 expansion come down or uh, because that's when we see the grades uh, drop off at Consanchi or, or, or decline. And it's really on the oxide side more than, more than anything else. Um, and then the third element of the question was whether the stability agreement would just apply to Consanchi or, or to Sentinel as well. Uh, and that you know, is in discussion with the government. I think uh, you know, a particular concern is around S3 and that project, which is, is Consanchi. Um, but obviously we're looking at the broader um, geopolitical situation in Zambia uh, as well. But certainly the focus is on, is on Consanchi. Does that help? Sure. So when you say S3, will it just be for the incremental volumes at the very early stage or for whole of Consanchi? Because you can still split volumes theoretically uh, based on, I think, uh, 43101. No, no, we'd be looking at the asset in total. Okay. Yeah, that's clear. Sure. And just a question on hedging. Uh, you've obviously done copper and uh, nickel, but why not do gold hedging, which is more common and more of a secondary product? Understandably, you've got uh, um, your streaming agreement, but you still have significant exposure of your own. Is there any intention or um, has there been thought to hedge gold uh, previously, or is there any intention to do it on forward basis? Yeah, to attend the... Um I mean, well, I've had proposals in the past. I mean, the the answer is that, you know, although we produce quite a bit of gold, the gold is not that material in terms of our total revenue profile, and that does also then consume credit lines. So you've got to choose where you use those credit lines, and and you know, by not hedging the gold, we've actually benefited also on the upside. So. But yeah, so you've got limited credit lines, and we rather choose to use it on the on the credit on the copper side, on the gold. Understood. Very clear. Thank you so much. All the best. Thank you. That's all the time we have for questions. I would now like to turn the meeting back over to Ms. Dudridge. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to uh, just thank everybody uh, for joining us on the call today. I uh, apologize that we've run out of some time. If you do have any follow-up questions, you need anything else, please don't hesitate to, uh, to contact me. Uh, and with that, uh, thank you very much, and I think you can uh, disconnect your lines. Thanks, guys. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your lines at this time, and we thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.